Chapter Two of the Life of Saint Columba, Apostle of Scotland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Life of Saint Columba, Apostle of Scotland, by Francis Alice Forbes. Chapter Two, The Schooling of a Saint. While Columba was growing into manhood among the mountains of Tyrconnell, Saint Finian. Finian of the heart devout, as the old writers love to call him, was founding his great monastic school of Moville on the northern side of Loch Quan. Not on his piety and sanctity alone did the renown of Finian rest. He had been educated at the famous monastery of Whitehorn, founded by Saint Ninian in the fourth century in the British kingdom of Galloway across the sea. Saint Ninian was the friend of Saint Martin of Tours, and it was from him that he obtained the masons to build the Candida Casa, or White House, the first stone church erected in Britain. Later St. Finian went on pilgrimage to Rome, a difficult and dangerous undertaking in days when ships consisted for the most part of a framework of willow overstretched with ox-hide, and famine, pestilence, wild beasts, and barbarians were only a few of the perils that beset travellers by land. There he remained for three months, when he returned to Ireland, bringing with him a precious and priceless treasure. This was a copy of the sacred scriptures, translated and corrected by the hand of St. Jerome himself, and formally sanctioned by the Pope as the authentic text. No copy of this first edition of the Vulgate has as yet found its way into Ireland, and to the scholars and scribes of the day it was of untold worth. The school of Moville was founded in 540, and St. Columba must have been one of its earliest scholars, for he was born in the year 529, and was about twenty years of age when he left Tyrconnell. Here he was ordained deacon, and here also, at his prayer, was worked the first of a long series of miracles that were to continue throughout his life. One festal day, to the consternation of St. Finian, it was found that there was no wine for the holy sacrifice. It was the turn of Columba to draw the water that was to be used in the sacred mysteries, and kneeling at the brink of the well, he prayed earnestly to the Lord, who had changed water into wine at the marriage feast of Cana, to have pity on their distress. His prayer was heard, even as he carried the water to the church, the miracle was worked. Here, my father, is wine that God has sent us from heaven, said the young deacon, as he gave the vessel to his master, and Finian marveled greatly, and gave praise and glory to God. From Moville, Columba went to the great school of Clonard, there to pursue his studies under another St. Finian, Finian the Wise, the tutor of the saints of Erin. Clonard was the most famous school in Ireland at the time, and even bishops and abbots, old in years and experience, did not disdain to come and learn wisdom at the feet of its holy founder. St. Finian of Clonard had been himself the pupil of three great saints, St. David, St. Gildas, and St. Caddoch, at the College of Lancarvin in Wales. When Columba came to the school of Clonard it numbered, as the old writers tell us, three thousand scholars. The problem of accommodation was very simple in an Irish school of the sixth century. A few precious manuscripts formed the whole library. The instruction was mostly oral, and given in the green fields round the moat of Clonard. A little hill or eminence formed the professor's chair, and the scholars sat on the slopes about his feet. They built their own little huts of clay and wattles in the surrounding meadows, and took their turn at herding the sheep and grinding in the quern, or hand-mill, the corn for the daily bread. They prayed and studied, 
learned the exquisitely fine transcription that gave to the world the only books that were then to be had, and listened to the interpretation of the Holy Scriptures expounded by St. Finian with a power and eloquence that drew men from all parts of Ireland to listen. The son of the High Niles took his turn with the rest at grinding corn in the quern and in the humble daily labors, but he accomplished his task so rapidly and skillfully that his fellow scholars, who may have heard the story of the celestial companion of his boyhood, would assert that he had been helped by an angel. When the daily work was finished, he was always to be found, as of old, before the altar, absorbed in prayer. Even the elders treated him with deference. There was something so noble and commanding in his bearing, so high and holy in the glance of his keen grey eyes, so strong and compelling in the clear tones of his voice, that half-unconsciously men bowed before him. But there was one at Clonard who long withstood his influence. To the gentle-hearted Cairnin, Mac in Sierre, or the son of the carpenter, temptation had come in the shape of an envious thought. Why should Columba, he asked himself resentfully, be loved and privileged above all other scholars? He was the son of the prince of Tyrconnell, it was true, but in a monastic community such as Clonard, were they not all equal before God? He began to be jealous of the influence exercised so unconsciously by his young companion, and harbored bitterness in his heart. Ciaran's guardian angel grieved over the havoc that was being wrought in the pure and gentle soul. He appeared to him one day in a radiant vision, carrying the tools of a carpenter in his hand. "'See, Ciaran,' said he, "'what thou hast left for the love of God, to give thyself to Christ in the monastic life. But Columba has sacrificed the throne which would have been his had he not, forsaking the world, chosen rather to follow his Lord in poverty and humiliation.' His words scattered the mist of envy from the heart of the carpenter's son, who humbly asked pardon for his sin. From henceforth he became one of the warmest friends of Columba, who in his turn loved the gentle-hearted Ciaran with a true and tender affection. It was while the two were at Clonard together that their master, St. Finian, dreamt that he saw two moons, one of gold and one of silver, shining in the sky. The golden moon illuminated the north of Ireland, and its beams shone over the sea as far as distant Alba, while the moon of silver shed its soft light in the centre of the land. It was made known to Finian that the golden moon represented Columba, who was to carry the light of the gospel to another people, while that of silver typified Ciaran, whose holiness was to be a light to many in his own country. It was at this time that Columkila showed the first signs of that gift of prophecy that was to make him so famous in after days. There came to Clonard an old bard named Gemin, who was a Christian, Columba, who had a passionate love for poetry, put himself under his tuition, that he might not only study the old minstrel lore of Ireland, but learn also to pour out his own heart in song. One day, when the old man sat reading, at a little distance from his pupil in the green meadows near Clonard, a young maiden, crying piteously for help, and hotly pursued by one of the bloodthirsty barbarians who were the terror of the more peaceful inhabitants of the country, fled towards him for protection. Gammon called to Columba for help, but it was too late. Even as he tried to hide the child under the folds of his long cloak, her savage assailant pierced her to the heart with his spear. "'How long, O Lord!' moaned the old man, as he gathered the body of the little maiden into his arms. "'How long shall the blood of this innocent cry unavenged to heaven?' Columba turned to him with flashing eyes. "'Thus long!' he cried in a voice that rang like a trumpet of the avenging angel. Thus long and no longer. 
the soul of that innocent child shall scarcely have entered heaven before the soul of her murderer shall be cast into eternal fire the words had scarcely left his lips when the barbarian who was not yet out of sight fell dead struck down by the sudden judgment of god on leaving clonard Columba went in company with the gentle-hearted Kieran to visit the school of another great master of the spiritual life, St. Mopi of Glasnevin. There they met St. Comble and St. Canach, and formed with them a lifelong friendship. It was during his stay at Glasnevin that Columba was sent by St. Mopi to Etchen, Bishop of Clonfad, to be ordained a priest, and it is characteristic of the simplicity of the times that the holy bishop, who was Columba's own cousin, and the son of a reigning prince, was found in the fields guiding the oxen of his plough. It must have been about this time that Cairn and Columba journeyed together to the rocky isle of Arran in the west to visit St. Enda the Holy, the tutor of both Finian of Moville and Finian of Clonard. Arran was indeed a very nursery of sanctity, and Enda was reverenced as a father by all the saints of Ireland. They learnt from his lips the virtues and duties of a true monk, but they learnt still more from his example. He and his community slept on the bare ground in their stone cells, never warmed by a fire even in the coldest days of winter. Their frugal food was the fruit of the labour of their hands, but it was little enough that the barren rocks of Aaron could furnish. To these men, whose hearts were on fire with the love of God, their desert island was a little paradise, where they lived in close communion with the unseen world, and from whence the voice of praise went up incessantly to the throne of God. We are told that the gentle-hearted Kieran, the son of the carpenter, was beloved by Enda above all his disciples, and that when the time came for him to leave the Isle of Aaron, to found his own great monastery of Clomachnios on the banks of the Shannon, the old man knelt and wept bitterly on the rocky shore. Perhaps he may have foreseen the early death of his beloved pupil the sudden quenching of that light that was to shine so brightly during the few years that remained to him of his earthly pilgrimage. A few years after his departure from Aaron, the holy Cairon exercised his apostleship in his native country, and then founded the monastery of Clombachnios, which in after days was to become the greatest and most learned community in Ireland. Four months later a terrible pestilence broke out, and the gentle Cairon was amongst its victims. He asked the brethren to take him out into the open air that his eyes might see the blue sky once again before he died. The skin on which he used to sleep was spread on the ground, and they laid him on it, weeping bitterly the while. The dying man then asked to be left alone with St. Kevin of Glendalough, his soul's friend, the beautiful old Celtic name for spiritual father, still used among the Catholics of western Scotland, who blessed him and gave him the Holy Communion. Kieran bade him a tender farewell, for, says the old chronicle, he loved him much. Then, lifting his eyes to heaven with a smile on his lips, the pure and holy Kieran breathed his last, and white angels came and carried his soul to paradise. End of chapter 2